Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, a program providing help and information for our caregivers who are vital to the health and welfare of so many people in our community. You can hear Caregiver SOS On Air Sundays at 6 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you very much, and welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. Carol is, as many of you know, the executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation, a nationally known gerontologist as well, and she also is board chair for the National Council on Aging. Keeps you really busy. It does. we got a great show coming up, and we're going to be talking in just a moment to one of the newer, although not brand new, WellMed physicians, Dr. Frida Cabana, who is at the Wincrest Clinic for WellMed. You met her when she was at the Schertz Clinic. That's right. And we just recently on our staff meeting, somebody asked about shingles. And so I'm so happy that she's here because I want to ask her about shingles. We're going to follow up. We'll talk about that and the vaccine and what you can do to protect yourself. All that is coming up in just a couple of moments. But first, as we do with each of our Caregiver SOS on-air programs, Carol is culled from the headlines. Some really interesting news clips and topics. And the first one, uh, we talk on a lot of these programs, as uh, many of your listeners know, about exercise, 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 and how much you really need. And now, more news in what is the right dose of exercise for the aging brain? So many of our caregivers um, are caring for someone that has some sort of cognitive problems. They may have Alzheimer's, they may have Parkinson's. And, and most of us as caregivers, if we're dealing with that, we're worried about preventing any of those problems in ourselves, which is why we like to talk about you know, the exercise. So the big thing now is if it's good for your heart, it's good for your brain. And that usually means exercise. But exactly how much exercise is what the University of Kansas Alzheimer's Disease Center has been looking at. And this is from the New York Times, Gretchen Reynolds. Um, And so they they did a study, of course, where they got about 100 seniors together who were sedentary, meaning they, you know, couch potatoes, basically, didn't do any exercise. Um, And they... Now, determine what their aerobic capacity was, how fit they were, and they did a test on how well they could remember things and think. Then they put them into the four groups, which, you know, you don't get to pick your group. They assign you. So one got no intervention. One group was told to exercise 75 minutes a week. So like brisk walking. We're not talking about running marathons, just brisk walking. Uh, That's about half the recommended amount of exercise, which is 150 minutes a week. And then the bonus group got to do 225 minutes a week of exercise. So what would you suppose happened on the fitness level in those groups? Well, I'm going to take a wild stab at those who did the least amount did the best. Well, actually, so on fitness-wise, it turned out exactly the way that you would think. So those that did the, everybody that did any fitness, so the people that did nothing, that remained couch potatoes, their fitness did not improve. No surprise. Imagine that. Imagine those that did 75 minutes improved, 150 improved more, and 225 improved the most. So there was direct correlation between fitness and the amount they exercised. But then when they looked at memory and how well their brain was processing, they found out that it didn't matter if you did the 75 minutes or the 225 minutes. It basically came out the same. 
which may be good news if you don't want to exercise a lot. So this, okay, this is a small study. We're only talking right. 100 people. They, what they said was we really need to be able to tell you definitely this is the amount of exercise that helps. They really haven't even proved that exercising will delay the onset of Alzheimer's or prevent it. So we're all on the research side. But again, if you're hedging your bets, 75 minutes at a minimum of brisk walking a week is what your brain needs. But if you want to get fit, never hurts to get 150 recommended minutes. I think we could help the sedentary ones if we got rid of remote controls for TVs. What if we got rid of the TVs? That would help, too. Now you'd have to get rid of their computers, too, because, you know, all my... My family are only watching online anymore. Sorry about that oh, really? cable news network people. So they cut the cord. Yeah, yeah. most people are. Everybody I know has cut their cable. Wow. Yeah. It's a I new world out there. I haven't gotten the nerve to do that yet. Yeah, but, but the good news is is that we're online. This program is podcast, and we can you can get Caregiver SOS on air online. All you have to do is go to caregiversos.org. That's right. And so you can find this show. We're there, too. I like that. Next up, <laughs> this is another one that boggles the mind. So, Carol Zernio, why is butter good for us? Well, you know, a lot of people believe that natural may be better than synthetic. That may or may not be the case. This is out of grandparents.com, and it's six reasons that butter is good for you. So for those of you who have sworn off the butter... You know, it may be time to stock back up again because the number one reason is butter is actually filled with immune-boosting vitamins. So butter has vitamin A, vitamins A and D, and because it's a fat, that's the mo- that's the easiest way to transport those good little vitamins right around in that fat, and you absorb that fat. We all know we absorb fat, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> so oh yeah. We absorb that, and that those vitamins go right in you. So it's got immune boosting vitamins. Number two, it has vitamins K and D. That's good for your bones. So eating butter is good for your bones. Um, it can reduce symptoms of diabetes. It helps with control of diabetes. I mean, I'm sorry, control of insulin. That's from the American Diabetes Association. You can Google that. Hmm. It has things that fight cancer. So we're beginning to like butter more, aren't we? It sounded pretty good so far. It's a study by the Buttermakers of America. You would think, yeah, it didn't say funded by, you know, the American Dairy Association. <laughs> right. We'll have to do some more <laughs> research. Curious. But the Roswell Park Cancer Institute says it has things I can't pronounce in it. That help prevent cancer. Um, <laughs> at butter, c- it can be better than margarine, uh, again, because it is a natural fat. And sometimes vegetable fats, if you already have heart disease, are linked to higher death rates. Oops. Mm. Whereas, you know, um, a dairy fat, saturated fats that are found in butter are actually better for you if you already have heart disease, which seems totally counterintuitive. I didn't write this. <laughs> um, and then the last one is, oh, I like this one. Butter may prevent tooth decay. That whole thing about the bones, it's good for your bones. It's good for your teeth, wow. too. So You're let's go put slather some butter on something. I like Yay, that. for those of us who haven't had it in a while. Time for buttered corn. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, brought to you by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. In a couple of moments, we'll be talking with Dr. Frida Kavanaugh, who is a WellMed physician in the Wincrest Clinic. And we're going to talk first about uh, an issue that affects a whole lot of folks and, and what vaccines we need as older people. And that'll be coming your way in, in just a couple of moments. We're going to talk about shingles and a whole lot more. But before we do that, Carol Zerniel, there was a really 
sad story in the New York Times, and, and you'll find a lot of sad stories there, some upbeat, but some sad, talking about complicated grief. Well, and complicated grief. So this is a program for caregivers, and many caregivers do reach that point where their loved one passes away. And grief is absolutely normal, but sometimes for about 9% of the population, um, grief isn't normal. In other words, the people don't feel like they ever get over it. That, that feeling of loss, that longing, that ability to see yourself in a life without them never goes away. They talked in this article, talked about a woman whose son had passed away, and four years later, she still couldn't even answer the telephone. So when grief is that intense, that long of a time later, it's not, you know, it's, that's not normal. It's not good. Uh, and so it requires a different intervention. So Columbia University has been wo- working on what they called complicated grief therapy. And f- for older adults, this is particularly important because people that are over the age of 60, that's when those losses start stacking up. You lose your parents, you lose your siblings, you lose your friends. Um, sometimes you've lost your children, you lose your spouse. And what they found is usually if it's a spouse or a child or an unexpected death, those are the ones that are, you know, the toughest on us. So they've invented, a, invented they're working <laughs> on a new kind of a therapy to help people that, for, that have complicated grief. Um, and so that might, that involves not just, you know, where we talk about it, because we do tell people, you know, see a therapist. Talk uh, therapy. Talk therapy, absolutely. It does help. But it hasn't been able to break through for these people who can't let go and can't get over this grief. So they use a combination, sort of desensitize. I don't want to say desensitize, but they use photographs, um, videos, uh, books, music, things that you used to do all the time that are really may cause you pain mm. to, to confront kind of look at those and help you think about the loss differently. Maybe think about what that meant and be feel good about that, what it meant in your life, and then learn to move on. So I think that the advice for uh, anyone listening out there is that if you do lose a loved one or you know someone that has, and they're really not recovering from that, and it's been over a year, maybe over two years, and it still feels just as fresh as it did that first day, it's time to look at something else, and they may want to ask around to see if there's complicated grief therapy available. That was my Aunt Reva. Her husband uh, died in 1948, uh, and for the next 50-plus years, every single day, uh, Reva grieved for her late husband. Which would be, uh, you know, it's... It's honorable, but it's a terrible way to live. Terrible, it's, debilitating. It's debilitating, Awful. and a lot of these people, you know, talk about wanting to commit suicide, may commit suicide, um, and just helping them to move on and, and realize that there is life. Quickly, about a minute left. Okay. Your dog, your cat, your parakeet, and your estate. Yes. So there is such a thing as a pet trust. Um, if you are someone who want, loves your pet, and apparently lots of people do, especially dog owners, cat owners, um, you if you think you might not be able to take care of them or you might they may outlive you, you may set up a pet trust that guarantees that a trustee will give your pet at least the medical care and physical care they need to be happy. They may not kiss them as much as you do, but they will be well cared for and they will get money for it and you can set that up. So ask about pet trusts if like you love that. your pet. 
All right, now stay tuned. Speaking of caring for yourself, your pets, your friends, your neighbors, your loved ones, we're going to talk about shingles, a condition you don't want, and how you may be able to prevent yourself from, well, developing it. All that and more coming your way right here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. I'm Ron Aaron, and one of the things I'm most pleased about being a WellMed patient is the way in which I'm treated by all the staff at the clinic I go to. And Dr. Robin Eikhoff, that's not by accident. No, it's not. We really spend a lot of time training our staff and asking them to really connect with the patients and get to know them because we consider them part of our clinic home. And the other thing that's really impressive to me is the amount of time my well-med physician spends with me, and you do the same thing with your patients. Yeah, I, I really do try to, and, and we do a lot, a lot more time than your typical uh, provider can afford to give, and I think that allows us to get to know the whole patient and not just their diseases. That's cool. Don't have a lot of time to talk about prevention, but you do a lot of that as well. We spend an enormous amount of time on preventative measures. Want information about WellMed? Want to be a WellMed patient? Call 210-614-WELL. 210-614-WELL. We're rolling right along on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron. You hear us at 9.30 a.m. The Answer, brought to you by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Our co-host, Carol Zerniel, is here, and we're delighted to welcome as a very special guest, Dr. Frida Kavanaugh, who is the WellMed physician at the Wincrest WellMed Clinic, a native of Ghana, moved to the U.S. in the year 2000, graduated from uh, North Texas State, is it? University of University? North Texas. In University Fort of North Texas. Got your medical degree. In osteopathy? Yes, sir. Now, how do you choose MD, medical doctor, versus DO? Most well, folks don't know the difference. Yes, most folks don't know the difference. The difference, you know, is the same as the allopathic, the MDs. The difference is we learn how to do manipulation as well. Manipulation? Yes, sir. So that's like chiropractor, is that right? Um, similar but different. Don't hit me, don't hit me. (laughs) Similar but different. And we also have that holistic approach. We do believe that the person can heal, the body can heal itself. So we do have that perspective. Ah, see, my mother is a retired RN, and she would be like totally in that camp. Yes. Very good. Interesting. Very good. When I was a kid growing up, just a few years ago, Mm -hmm. uh, DOs and MDs didn't even talk to each other. Right. <laughs> totally different. And then you all got together. Yes. Yeah, because we have a wide combination uh, within, well-med, within yes. WellMed, yes. Yes. And most of the residency training programs are now accepting both DO and MDs, you know, same training, just different. You know, hmm. they do have that special um, technique with the hands, the DOs. Oh, cool. So that's the difference. Maybe we can get a little demonstration here on the air. What do you okay, think, so, but So go back. For those who don't know who may be thinking chiropractor, which is not the same, just want to say Correct. that. <laughs> uh, so manipulations, what does that mean? So manipulations, what we do is that we actually manipulate, let's say somebody's having trouble breathing or pneumonia, we can actually manipulate the ribs and the muscles to help them to breathe easily. So that is not using medicine, but using your hands, you're manipulating the body to help the body heal itself. Okay. That makes total sense. It does. Excellent. Okay. Thank you. (laughs) And how did you decide to go into that practice as a DO versus an MD? 
Well, actually, I just wanted to live in Texas, so I applied to. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I applied to most of the schools, the medical schools in Texas, and the deals was one of the. Um, they had one deal school in Texas, so I just applied to it and I got in. I just wanted to treat people. I like. I that. wanted to help the sick. Right, and people, you know, that's so. I have a son who's uh, in residency right now in emergency medicine, and so much that goes on in the medical schools and getting into residency is where the vacancy is, in what field, in what place. Exactly. It's, it's, there's a little bit of, it's like the military, you know, you yeah. just have yeah, to right kind of go post. where you, where yeah. you go. Yeah. My goal was to become a medical doctor. So whichever way, however way I got in, that's what I'll do. Well, good for you. And I happen to like osteopathic theory and what they do. So it worked out fine. <laughs> well, talk to us a little bit because when uh, we talked to you about coming on the show, one of the areas that uh, you're interested in uh, is trying to get folks to understand, especially seniors, that there are a set of vaccinations they really, really ought to consider. Right. So, you know, pneumonia vaccine is one, but most in particular, what I wanted to talk about today was the shingles vaccine. Because in the last couple of weeks, I've encountered a number of patients getting the shingles. And, and, and so sh- tell us what shingles is. I know my mother had it. She had shingles on, in her stomach, mm-hmm. um, which was very painful. Right. And so what is shingles? So shingles is a painful rash that is caused by a virus called varicella zoster virus. It is the same virus that causes chicken pox. Initially, when you get this virus, you develop chicken and once you recover, the virus remains dormant in your body. And it's still there. But it's still there. So later in life, sometimes it's due to stress or some kind of illness. It reactivates the virus, and then you develop the shingles. So when you say due to stress, so my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. um, is that it's an autoimmune. So it's your body going, ooh, when you're stressed out, it, it triggers it. It's not like you've been exposed to the virus again. No, you haven't been exposed to the virus again. The virus is actually there. Uh, it remains dormant, what we call asleep, right? Right. So when you have any physical or emotional stress or some kind of illness, even a common cold can trigger it. Nobody knows exactly how it reactivates it. But these are some of the theories. So this is bad news for all of us of the age that when someone got the chicken pox, they're like, oh, go play with them. You go get the chicken pox, too, because we want you to be, you know, to have that disease so you'll get the immunity for it, which is what they used to do. Right. Well, there was no vaccine. There was no vaccine. Yeah, it was just go play with Susie because she's got chicken pox or measles and then you'll get it and it'll be good. It (laughs) is good because once you get exposed to it, you develop immunity to it. So you don't get a chick- chicken pox. Right. It also will protect you from the shingles. You know, getting a natural immunity from any illness is actually good. Oh, so, so if, you've, if you've had the chicken pox, mm-hmm. then you have immunity, you don't get shingles. You will get shingles. You will get shingles. But let's say if you have a person who has had chicken pox before, right? Right. They have developed, they have that immunity. Yes. Right. And then they get in contact with somebody who has never gotten chicken pox before, right? Right. And let's say you have shingles. So you come oh. in talk to t- contact with a person who has never had chicken pox or shingles, and they develop chicken pox. So you can even have adults developing chicken pox. Unless they've been vaccinated. Unless they've, they've been, been vaccinated. vaccinated. And chicken pox as an adult is much worse than chicken pox as a kid, which as is why kid. when we were three and four, they used to tell us right. to go play right. with someone because right. it wasn't as severe. Yes. So so now we've got, but so shingles, which typically happens 
later. It, it's more yes. adults get it than children. That's and right. older people, more older people get it than younger people. Yes. Um, so there's been a change in the, my understanding is Medicare will now pay for a new vaccine for shingles so that people don't have to get shingles anymore. They can get the vaccine. Is that correct? That's correct. Um, people 60 and older will um, get a uh, qualified to get a shingles vaccine. So your insurance will pay for it. It depends. You may have a copay or you may not. You know, you have to check with your insurance, but Medicare Part D pays for the shingles vaccine. So this is an excellent thing. Shingles being very painful, but you can get a vaccine. And then, and um, I I know of one person that did get the shingles vaccine that had a reaction, but which was her face puffed up. But uh, my understanding is that is extremely rare. Most people get the shingles vaccine and it is fine. Right. And I will say the lady whose face puffed up, it unpuffed very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Yeah, that's so, a good thing. That's good. <laughs> so usually, you know, some of the side effects of the shingles vaccine is like the area becomes red, some swelling, you know, some pain. These are the common, you know, right. reaction or may have a little great fever, you know. But people who are actually, there are certain people who should not be getting the shingles vaccine. As you know, it's a life, you know, attenuated virus, I mean, vaccine. Um, pregnant women, you know, people with weakened immune system, let's say you, are, you have cancer and you're receiving chemotherapy, it's not advisable to get a shingles vaccine because you do have a weakened, you know, immune system. That makes sense. If you get the vaccine, uh, and I've had it, mm-hmm. is it a permanent then protection against shingles or do you need to uh, get it repeated over time? Okay, good, good question. So the shingles vaccine actually reduces your risk of getting another shingles. Right. And also, even if you do get the shingles, the duration will be lesser. It will last a, um, a shorter period. It won't be as painful as getting the initial shingles. So getting a vaccine protects you, but it's not 100 percent protection. You know, it will degree, decrease the length and also the severity of the illness. So that sounds like the flu shot. Usually the flu shot won't prevent you from necessarily from getting the flu, but you're not going to be as sick. That's correct. get flu light. Right. Now, are you seeing patients at WellMed who have either never had chicken pox and, or were never vaccinated against chicken pox? Um, I haven't okay. met any who has never received chicken pox or never received the vaccination. But I have encountered um, a young patient in 20s who actually received the chicken pox vaccine. She's never had chicken pox, but she did develop shingles. Really? Yes. And I had one patient who had a shingles vaccine, but got a shingles again. Hmm. But it wasn't as severe as the initial shingles infection. Now, for those who don't know, shingles really hurts. Serious right. pain, right? You're right. The pain can last from weeks to even years. Oh, years is not good. Yeah. In my case, a day would be bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. How do you treat it if you get shingles? Right. So treatment for shingles, we use um, a medicine, antiviral medicine. You know, some people have heard of a cyclovir, Valtrex. These are some of the medication we use to treat it. It doesn't cure it. All it does, it decreases the duration of the illness and also the severity of the pain. So once you develop rush, you have to let your provider, your healthcare professional, know right away. Because if you start the treatment... Um, Within a few days, it helps reduce this um, rash and the pain and the, you know, 
um, the complications with this show. So with any rash, wouldn't you want to see a provider if you develop any sort of rash and you haven't been out in the poison ivy? You know, recently, I mean, would that be recommended if all of a sudden you have a rash that you don't know why you have it or where it came from? I would say so. If you develop a rash that you don't know where it's coming from, you definitely have to let your provider know. But with a shingles rash, normally it develops on one side. Usually people may get like some tingling or pain or itching sensation. And then a couple of days later, the rash will develop. The rash will also turn into blisters. And it's the blisters that makes this um, disease contagious or this illness contagious. So if somebody thinks they have shingles, they need to think just like you would with a child with chicken pox. This is contagious. Today is not the day to go to the senior center. It's not the day to go to the gym. It's not the day to go visit all my friends. Exactly. And the rash will normally be on one side of the body, you know. So you look good on the other side. And the other side. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so you have to see your healthcare professional right away. All right. This, which, I mean, all of that, all of that makes sense. But um, people may not know that the Wellmet Charitable Foundation, we operate six senior centers. Every once in a while, somebody <laughs> walks in and goes, hey, do you think this is shingles? And we're like, ah, oh, go away, go away. Right. <laughs> Please go to your provider and see them and please leave because yes. we've got a whole lot of people here that once might the not. blister <laughs> has crossed it you know you're not so contagious one way to prevent being contagious is covering the blister up you know yes. washing your hands you know with the gauze band-aid right. washing your hands frequently and not being around people who have a weakened immune system oh no i'm having flashbacks of my childhood everything that she <laughs> the <laughs> blisters crusting right. up contagious it. catch it from someone else but well, we both had chicken pox yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Yeah, in my case, it was Spencer's Showell down the street from our house. <laughs> my mother got so excited. Spencer's got chicken pox. Quick, go to his house. Yeah, mine yes. was Penny. Penny, yes. Penny next door. Penny there next door had chicken pox. Go play with Penny. Stick with us, Dr. Coven. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zernio. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air. We're going to talk about other vaccines that seniors and caregivers really ought to think about. You hear us at 9:30 a.m. The answer. <laughs> This is Caregiver SOS On Air, brought to you by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. I'm Ron Aaron. Along with Carol Zernio, we're talking about shingles and other vaccinations that seniors and caregivers should think about. Dr. Frida Kavanaugh is with us. She's at the WellMed Clinic at Wincrest, and we're delighted to have her with us as a very special guest. In addition Thank to you. the shingles vaccine, uh, what other vaccines uh, should seniors get uh, as a matter of course? Okay. Um, another one is Tdap. Tdap protects you against um, diphtheria, whooping cough, tetanus. You know, if you have not had the vaccine in like five years, you know, it's good to get a, another one. If you ever get in contact, let's say you get a burn, you get a cat, you step um, a cat, you get a you step on a nail. These are some of the reasons why you should be getting the Tdap vaccine. See, that's the question. You're always asked. You step on a. It's always, it's always a the rusty nail. nail. It's always the rusty, rusty nail. It's always the rusty and nail. And the question is, the uh, uh, provider look you right in the eye and say, "So when did you have your last tetanus shot?" And, the, and then you always and the go. The answer is, I don't, I don't know. know. Mm-hmm. I don't remember. I know. And yes. if you say that, then you end up with another one. I exactly. can tell you that. You better know when you had your last tetanus How shot. How long are they good for? 
five. You know, usually you don't need it's plant not ten? Till 10 years, you know. Ten years. But if you do encounter, let's say you oh, step you on a nail, you get exposed, then you actually need one within the last five years. So if you had not had one in five years and you step on a rusty nail, like we talked about, then you need the vaccine. Otherwise, every 10 years. Uh, and the, the issue of whooping cough is one that has come back again because right. people are developing it. Mm-hmm. I've seen that. It, I mean, even in San Antonio, where we're located, um, that it's made a resurgence. Uh, but they're like, people were saying, oh, whooping cough, well, that's a kid's disease, but you, you, it's not yes. necessarily a children's disease. Not necessarily a children's di- disease. Adults are getting it, especially, you know, um, pregnant women after they have kids and they, are home, they have to get the vaccine. You know, all the adults in your house have to get a vaccine because you can easily give it to the newborn as well. So if you, let's say you get a tetanus, um, the Tdap vaccine, it has the whooping cough part in it as well as the tetanus part. So if you have gotten one within the the last five years, it's also protecting you against the whooping cough Mm -hmm. and also the tetanus. All right. So what else besides the whooping cough tetanus combo? Uh, do you recommend? Um, pneumonia vaccine. Pneumonia vaccine is one. You know, we recommend it for women 65 years and older. Not women, adults. Both men and women, 65 years and older. And also age 50 if you have other comorbidities like diabetes, you know, COPD, CHF, and the rest. Okay, and so pneumonia. Pneumonia. Uh, is there not a, even a newer pneumonia vaccine out? There's one that uh, I know I was given uh, as part of my WellMed joining the WellMed practice, uh, but I, I read somewhere that there's an even newer pneumonia vaccine. Right, that's correct. There is a new uh, pneumonia vaccine that you, we used to give it to the younger kids, but now it's also recommended in adults as well. So if I have the, the older one, should I get the new one too? Yes. Oh, you get both. You well, get both. So is pneumonia, is that the same thing as the flu shot? No, the pneumonia vaccine is different from the flu shot. You know, the flu shot will prevent you from getting the flu virus. If they have the right virus <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, in that flu Which shot. last year they <laughs> did not. And it changes every year. <laughs> yeah. I, and, 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 I'm, and, and that's not a slam on anybody. There's really, it's, it's the CDC's best guess of right. what the strain of flu is going to be for the upcoming year. They plan in advance, and every once in a while, Mother Nature surprises everyone and develops a different kind of flu than what we put in the flu shot. That's correct. So flu shot, and you get, those are every year. Every year. So if I'm a caregiver, would I need to get a flu shot too, not just the person that's over that's, age 65? That's correct. The caregivers need to get the flu because you can give it to uh, the person that you're taking care of. That's right. Or so you could get it from them. Or you could get it from them. And vice, vice versa. versa. Or you could get it from your kids because it's always the yes. kids that bring the flu home. Yes. I'm convinced. So your kid comes home, gives you the flu, you give your mom the flu, and everybody's sick at the same time, which is not fun. We have three little kids. Uh, you have, a, you have a germ circle is what you <laughs> yeah, have. And, and a four-year-old little girl. And it, someone says it's like living in a Petri dish. Right. <laughs> that it's cultivating everything you can think of coming home from preschool. Right. And what I would recommend is hand washing. Hand washing is very important to help prevent the spread of the flu and a common cold, you know. Um, I have little ones, too. So with my daughter, as soon as she gets home, she has to wash her hands or use the hand sanitizer. I know I'm. I'm a whether it's flu season or not. That's what she has to do. I think my son may have gotten from me. But I probably got it because my mother's a retired nurse, and it was always wash your hands, wash your hands. If I once I've been out of the house, the first thing I do when I come inside is I have to wash my hands, and I get you know anxious if I can't wash my hands. So my son 
was a really good hand washer and not, not good. He's out of high school. He just graduated last year. I think he missed three days of school in 12 years. Wow. wow. He did not he did he did not pick up anything cuz he was Mr. Hand Washer. I am so proud right. of him. So, you know, if you want to get a good education, wash your hands. I like that. That's right. I agree. It is it's your best line of defense. Yep. Now, are there other vaccines that uh uh, we ought to think about because when I was a kid growing up, there was no measles vaccine, no mumps vaccine, for example. Right, the measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine usually is given MMR. when you MMR, right? When you're younger, um, I don't think we're giving it to the adults right now. See, like I sixty-five and above, but you can still get the vaccine in, as an adult, like twenty-one. Usually, the college students, you know, mm-hmm. they recommend you have it. And if you haven't had it as a child, or you don't remember whether you had one or you lost your vaccination card, they like require that you else. get it. Yeah. <laughs> See, and I don't remember ever having the mumps or getting a mumps Me either. vaccine. That's the one that really stuck. I remember I was sent to play again with Penny, the germ carrier next door. Huh. Penny had the mumps, and I went to play with her, but I never caught them. So, right. And I've never had them. And so I'm, my mother told me that I must have been naturally immune, which I'm not sure about that. Not sure about that at all. So now, would somebody like me, if you're an adult and you don't know, is should you go get a shot or should you just like, Ooh, it's going to be okay? Well, you would probably <laughs> this is count medical on advice herd. on the air. You would probably count on a herd immunity in this case. Herd immunity. Know? I know about this. Yes. Yeah, that means everybody else is good. As long, okay, all you people, go get your mump <laughs> shots because I'm going to depend on you <laughs> to not get the mumps so I won't get the mumps. But where herd immunity is broken down is the resurgence of whooping cough, for example. Right. Right. Well, and the, and the measles. And measles. And the measles and that the was measles at Disneyland. Was it measles at Disneyland? Was yes. that what it was? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, so what you're saying, we, we're making jokes and we, and we make it sound light, but this is really serious. So any of the childhood diseases you get as an adult can be very dangerous, you know, if not life-threatening. Right. The flu in older adults can be life-threatening. Right. Um, so we have to take the, the, I, the immunizations, getting those shots when they're recommended, yes. seriously, it, you really do have to pay attention to right. this. I mean, if you, seriously, if you have not received that vaccine, you should get it. You know, you should get it. And it's with everybody getting these vaccines that protects all of us. Right. And so it's very important for us all to get a vaccine. Well, talk to us a little bit about uh, the new WellMed patient who comes into the office uh, who hasn't been there before, just starting with WellMed. What is it you do to process them through to be sure uh, they have these kinds of protections? Because uh, the goal at WellMed is to keep people healthy, not cure disease. Let's prevent disease. That's right. Um, so usually the new patients that come in have what we call the first touch. Okay. So the first touch is when you have a nurse go through their medical history to find out what vaccine they need, what kind of, you know, conditions or illness they have, you know, the surgeries, kind of go through everything. And they may do some screening exams as well before the physician actually sees them. Screening exam like? You know, screening for peripheral vascular disease, neuropathy. Um, neuropathy meaning you don't have... Neuropathy is like the numbness and tingling sensation that normally diabetics get. But not only. Not only diabetics, right. right. And so then what else would you be looking for? Um, so we also, with the peripheral vascular disease that I talked about, we look for the blood flow through the legs to see if you have any narrowing, you know, or not. 
checking for the pulses. Now, this does not really mean that you do have it. It's like it's picking it up. So we have to do further testing to see it, mm. to confirm the disease and treat it or prevent it from getting worse. So you can have a pulse checked in your legs? You can, yes. You can have that checked. That's cool. Yeah, that's because it's like the blood goes everywhere in your whole body. One, one can only hope. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> exactly. And then as you... Uh, uh, process your, your new patients through. They go through the first touch. Uh, if they haven't had the pneumonia or shingles vaccines or uh, they're not up to date on their tetanus or, or Tdap, exactly. you, you give them those vaccines. So we recommend it to them and then we give it to them once they uh, agree to get the vaccine. And that's one-stop shopping. You do that right in your clinic. Right in the clinic. Yeah, which is that's very right. convenient. You know, so many people, I think, are under the mistaken belief that a lot of the diseases you were talking about have been cured that they're, they're cured, but they're, they're not necessarily cured. It's the vaccinations that prevent people from getting them, and All we right. simply need to make sure everybody gets the vaccination. Uh, and we were talking about different age groups. So if someone is Medicare eligible, it may be that under Medicare, if they're a Medicare Advantage patient, they may not pay anything. Um, there are some of those that are regular Medicare, you may have a, a slight copay, okay. but it's going to be a significantly reduced amount. So cost in getting these vaccinations you they're they're very important so we wouldn't want cost to be a factor you should check with your insurance company to find out what your benefits are whether you're on medicare or not to see you know if they're going to cover those and what your copay would be so you can work towards getting those vaccinations right. that's correct yes. now another one that uh, is of interest and mm-hmm. i uh, saw in the news just the other day that for the first time uh, in memory there was no new case of polio in Africa this past year. Right. Polio in this country uh, is pretty much gone, but, but you're still at risk if you have not had that vaccine. Yes, I agree. You know, um, in Africa, they have the oral polio vaccine, which is just by drops. And mm-hmm. that was so much easier for them to vaccinate, you know, a lot of children. Here we use the injection, which is not the live virus, but it also works. You know, so I would, that's a good example of how vaccine works and why it's important, I mean, helping so many people. The polio is a good example of that. I had the, I was the first generation to get the uh, oral polio We used to get it on sugar Sugar cubes, yeah. Yeah. They put the drops on a sugar cube. Right. Yeah, which we were like, yay, because earlier it used to be that you, you know, they did do the shots. Then we got those sugar cubes. So you're saying they're back to shots again? Yes. Oh, we were living well, Ron. Yeah, we were. (laughs) That's exactly right. Yes. So, so back the, to shots again. That's interesting. Right. But the aura was... was it is, is that because there's less? What, what's the difference between... You were talking about whether a live vaccine or not live vaccine. What's the difference? So the, the shot has... So the oral is the live weakened vac- um, virus. Which right? might mean you have more... You might have more reactions to it. So with the live virus, it's not really recommended for people with weakened immune systems, system, like people with HIV, um, on chemo, on transplant, you know. Right. Those live viruses, I mean, vaccine are not recommended for those patients. So it's a little easier if you get the shot one in terms of making sure your people right. can tolerate the vaccine. Right. You know, things are certainly different in terms of vaccinations in this country versus Mexico, for example. I, I know someone uh, who has... Uh, a nanny working for them who's now applying for citizenship and mm-hmm. that paperwork is going through uh, and she had to get all her vaccinations. She had none, had no vaccinations that were given to her as a youngster in Mexico. Wow. Wow. 
So they're playing catch up with her. Do now. people wow. still get? We don't have to get smallpox vaccines anymore either. No, because no, all of us have, have scars from our smallpox vaccines. There, I'm just dating myself. All, you know, all of the old. Where was vaccines. yours given? Oh, well, shoulder. On your arm, shoulder. Yeah, right yeah. there. Got the little scar. Well, yeah. thank you so much for coming on and, and talking to us about all of these important vaccinations because we don't want to take it for granted. We don't want to take it lightly. They're, they are very important. Anything we haven't asked you you want to do, uh, add? Um, thank you for having me here. <laughs> you know, I think we've, co- we've covered uh, most of it. And so if, if, if somebody wanted to find you or any of our other well-med doctors, um, the website that they would go to, is would be www.healthcare.com. Healthcare.com. Well or met. just call 615-WELL. 615-WELL. And if you're local, well. that'll get you through. That's right. See, I want Frida. Frida is my doctor, right? <laughs> and you go to the Windcrest Clinic. That's right. Yes, Everybody will be driving traffic jams in Windcrest from now on. Governor, thank you. We really appreciate you coming uh, in. Thank you. And do get your vaccines. Up next, take 10 on Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. You hear us at 930 a.m. The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, and one of the things I'm most pleased about being a WellMed patient is the way in which I'm treated by all the staff at the clinic I go to. And Dr. Robin Eikhoff, that's not by accident. No, it's not. We really spend a lot of time training our staff and asking them to really connect with the patients and get to know them because we consider them part of our clinic home. And the other thing that's really impressive to me is the amount of time my well-med physician spends with me, and you do the same thing with your patients. Yeah, I, I really do try to, and, and we do a lot, a lot more time than your typical uh, provider can afford to give, and I think that allows us to get to know the whole patient and not just their diseases. That's cool. Don't have a lot of time to talk about prevention, but you do a lot of that as well. We spend an enormous amount of time on preventative measures. Want information about WellMed? Want to be a WellMed patient? Call 210-614-WELL. 610-614-WELL. Thank you so much for sticking with us on Caregiver SOS on air as we do at the end of every one of our programs. We bring you Take 10 with Dr. Jimmy Heisman, nationally known therapist, a specialist in caregiving and addictions as well, and Carol Zerniol, our co-host here on Caregiver SOS on air. Carol, you want to set up our Take 10? Well, you know, it's kind of a heavy topic, but we uh, recently I was visiting with my 93-year-old great-aunt. Um, as well as some other older relatives. And there was a common theme. They were saying, you know, well, we shouldn't live to 100. Of course, this is somebody who's in their 90s. Uh, you know, nobody should live to 100. Um, and another relative said, you know, I, I should have stopped when I was back in my 70s. I, you know, I didn't want to live this long. And I think what they're communicating is, you know, it's, it's hard to live in poor health. It's, it's difficult when you have ongoing chronic illnesses and you don't feel good. Um, and what the, and they were talking about a good death, which is something as Americans we're extremely uncomfortable about. Uh, but as caregivers, there's a point we have to realize, you know, all of us, I, all of us, there's only a few biblical characters that didn't die and the rest of us are going to die. Um, and when we are caring for somebody who is older and or very sick, uh, this might be a topic that they want to talk about and they may want to plan you know, be they maybe they don't want to be in the hospital. Maybe they don't want to, you know, have all of the the tests and the wires. And so, you know, 
I don't know, Jamie, is good death, is that, is that a difficult topic for caregivers? Well, it's a difficult topic for anybody, to be frank with you. We've had such a taboo around death. I, I believe um, differently, but then that's my spiritual path, and anybody's spiritual path will probably give them a, a, a different perspective. But I believe that, you know, if, it's dignity. What you just said makes so much sense, Carol. I, I, the over-communication between caregivers or family members of how dignity, if you will, plays a role in our lives, what we believe dignity is when we leave this world, uh, to me, that can't be communicated enough. I think by keeping it taboo, by keeping it quiet, by not being open and honest about the beauty of life's process from birth to death, I think we're doing an extraordinarily huge disservice. So um, the right way to pass, um, I don't know about the right way to pass, but I can tell you that dignity uh, you can never go wrong with. Now, isn't that one of the underpinnings of hospice, that uh, you're creating an environment in which you can ease yourself through the last months of your life? I believe hospice is a great example, uh, Ron. I think you're spot on. I think we have a huge movement in healthcare now. I think WellMed is really taking a, a big lead in Texas and soon to be in Florida on palliative care. I believe these are ways that we can find dignity uh, through honesty, and, and, and what Carol says is the most important, which is by choice. I know we're limited in this country for moral and ethical reasons about assisted suicide, so that's not a topic or we need to go down. Other countries are entertaining it more fast and furiously. But I do believe that this is an extraordinarily important conversation to have around the table when we're healthy. Well, you know, not, we don't have to wait till we get sick. And, and an advanced directive can help you do that, can't it? Dead on. Excuse my... Yeah, dead on. Well, (laughs) you know, one of the facts that I read recently in the New York Times was that more people die in the hospital or a nursing home than at home. And if we were to survey any of the loved ones, any of our caregivers' loved ones, um, and, and ask them where would they like to die, how many of them do you think would say a hospital or a nursing home? You know, Carol, you're so right. I just... Bought a home. Hey, tell all your listeners in Texas, I just bought a home here in, in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And somebody said to me, you know, when are you going to move from this home and go somewhere else? Because they know that that's been the story of my life. And I said, I think you're going to have to bring a shovel and an epitaph the next time. Because I really want to die here. Hey, have you got a water view? Yeah, actually, I, I do, but it's not on the water because of my little three-year-old. But I, I actually have a water view. And a spare bedroom? And a spirit be white. Oh, yeah, we now, now we know where, yeah, watch it. You, you'll have house, un, unwanted time. house guests. Yeah. What our listeners will know is that Ron will bring his children, I'll bring my child, and we'll be, you know, wonderful boomers and older adults here parenting our kids, and we'll stay there forever and ever and ever. But no, on the, on the serious right. side, huh. a- aging in place is it. And last week you were talking, Carol, about the support groups and about uh, the triple A's and and long-term care, and, and I agree 100%. Uh, again, they're leading the way, and, and to, for us to age in place, that is about dignity. Well, over um, the holidays, they were having 24 hours of John Wayne movies, uh, and one of the movies was True Grit. And if you remember True Grit, the original one, I, I can't speak to the, to the ending on the remake, but the original one, the, the little girl, the Kim Darby character, um, asked John Wayne if he will be buried next to her in her plot of land on the family farm. Um, And she says, isn't it comforting to know 
where you're going to spend eternity. And she, you know, she talked about it multiple times because her father had died. And she's like, here's Papa. This is where I'm going to be buried. And John Wayne, I want you to be buried next to me. And of course, he says, well, don't, you know, I'm not going to join you anytime soon. I might take you up on it, but, you know, I'm not going to join you anytime soon. Uh, And that's, you know, that really jarred me at the time, just thinking about how somebody young like that really was planning for him, planning for herself, and found peace and comfort. And how often, I think, in the modern society, we've lost that idea. Yes, yes, yes. And I think Ron really hit on it. And what you just said, the planning and comfort, it is about planning. It's about the advanced directives. It's about the health care surrogacy. It's about how you, you would like your days at the end to be taken care of. It's about you know, Dr. Um, Erickson basically said it clearly. Do you want to look back on your life, because it doesn't matter how much money you have or belongings, with either integrity or despair? And I truly believe that when you plan, and like Ron said, advanced directives, and the family can talk about it, and they can bring it onto the table as if it's a, a topic where we're well or not well, I think then that's a good death, if you will, or at least planning for that. It's part of our vernacular part of our lives. You're listening to Take 10 on Caregiver SOS on air. If you've just joined us, Dr. Jamie Heisman and Carol Zerniel are with us. I'm Ron Aaron talking about a good death. Well, what recently uh, our palliative care department at, at WellMed has really kind of helped me refocus thinking about chronic illnesses, um, diseases that people have that are not going to get better. Uh, they may get worse, um, and asking people, what is your lifestyle, what is your wish list for not necessarily the end of life, but the last years of your life? Is it pain management? Do you have a condition where you're in a lot of pain? Do you want to have more energy? There are some medications that control symptoms very well, but they zap you of your energy. So are your medications matched to the lifestyle that you want to have? What are you willing to give up to get something Mm -hmm. else? You know, Maybe they make you really sleepy. Um, so, you know, if there are choices to be made in your health care and in your lifestyle, so what is, how is it you want to live? That's such an important discussion for your physician, for your family members to know, because if you're the older person like my great aunt, mm-hmm. you want to have that discussion. She's trying to have those discussions with us. I had a good friend, uh, Ken Weicker was his name, was a big, big heavy hitter at Clear Channel, general counsel, developed pancreatic cancer tried everything. He was going to die. And I interviewed him on the radio about what that was like. And I asked him, well, what is the one thing you want to do? And I figured, because he had a lot of money, uh, he'd like to go out to Hollywood, date some big movie star and enjoy life. You know what he said the answer was, Jamie? What? He wanted to see his little girl ride her bike. Wow. Yeah. You know, I can identify with that. You know, I've found out about my mortality now that I have a three and a half year old child. And he got to do that. He did get to do that. See, that's, that's beautiful. But we would have never known, Ron, really. I certainly wouldn't have right. known about Ken unless you had asked them the question. Yeah. And I think that's the beauty of what you're saying here is this overcommunication cannot you know, ever be avoided. I think what we have done is a disservice. And I think what Carol brings up around palliative care and how it's going to reframe her mind and certainly reframing my mind, I, I think it's extraordinarily valid. Allowing the person to have the choice. I mean, don't we live in America? Isn't it about freedom? Isn't it about choice? That, to me, has to be part and parcel with which Carol's calling, and, and this topic is a good death. Is anyone listening to your aunt? Oh, I think so. Good. I think so. Be- for number one, you know, 
She's We've not always shy. listened to it. She's not shy. <laughs> yeah. She makes perfect sense. Um, but it, you know, I I do think that this is a topic. There's there's a resurgent mm-hmm. right now about people talking about the rights of the dying. Um, some of it's extreme. Some of it is really makes sense. And so I think in the United States, it it, it is time for us to look at people's lives. They're so much longer and make those choices for a good death. Last word goes to Carol, flat out of time. Dr. Jamie Heisman, thank you. Carol Zerniel, I'm Ron Aaron. Thank you so much for listening to us on Caregiver SOS On Air right here on 930 AM, The Answer. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air. Presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program to radio at wellmed.net. And join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel, for another edition of Caregiver SOS On Air on 930 AM, The Answer.